Hey, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a super exciting episode with pyrite seashells, pyrite suns, living fossils, and much, much more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. First thing I found was a geocrystal, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock of no name, felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right, radical rocks are everywhere. Hey guys, I'm going to have to apologize. I've been very sick and um, trying to put out a podcast this week anyway, so bear with me. I may be coughing and drinking hot water and using throat spray to get through this, so bear with me. We do have an exciting episode though. We've got pyrite seashells, pyrite suns, the largest emerald, living fossils, five legendary treasures, gold mining stories, and much, much more. So let's get started right away. Um, First thing, our friends at Gold Rush Expeditions, they tell us about the Moon Anchor Mineral property. It's in the Vulture Osborne Mining District, Mariposa County, Arizona. Really good mining area out there. I used to have a claim out there for... um, well, it mostly had agate, but it was an old uh, manganese mine. This is Moon Anchor property is load. It's in the famous Vulture Mining District, just just out of Tonopah. It says high grade lead and silver claim. Originally located in the 1800s, along the district's namesake, the Vulture Mine. Occasionally, the mine was even referred to as Eastern Vulture. Although Moon Anchor is the site's most recent historical name. In 1944, Moon Anchor was owned by E.R. Dickey and operated by a company called the East Vulture Mining Company. A report detailing the operation, Dickey stated that eight men were employed at the mine. Together they mined 1,000 tons per per month. The operation only kept ore with 10% lead or higher and disregarded any of the lower grade ore in the dumps. They would get about uh, five ounces of silver per ton and lead ranged about 14 to 23% per ton. So that's a lot of lead. Little history on the man who discovered this, Dickies, his death he left the site abandoned. Ownership went back, back to Bureau Land Management <clears throat> and a company called Sierra Amarello brought it in the 1980s. They ran core samples and they blocked out 6.9 million tons of lead, silver, and gold ore. The following year, the president of Sierra Amarello Mining Company stated an area 500 by 700 has been mapped to a depth of 200 feet sizing 
7,578 tons, containing 5% lead, 100 pounds per ton, and 3 ounces of silver per ton. At that time, lead was 0.4, uh, $0.14 cents a pound, and silver was 9.35. The company quickly sent loads for processing in El Paso, and uh, they began building a mill but mismanagement derailed it um, they nearly went bankrupt in 86 the American smelting and refining company absorbed the company no further work was done since so this is a pretty neat area a lot of cool samples could be found around there if you wanted to go into that area and look around there's a lot of areas that are not claimed a lot of ravines from this they have a map if you go to uh, sign up for Gold Rush Expeditions, they sell gold mines and claims, different mineral claims. You can check it out. This one they want just over 27000 for. They're not a sponsor of the show or anything. I just think it's interesting that they give some of the history with the mines. And I've always really loved the history of mines. This New Jersey mine is a home to an actual rainbow tunnel, and you could tour it. Tyler Golick tells us at The Travel, you go to thetravel.com, you can look this up. What it is in uh, New Jersey, they've got a, a store here, they've got antiques and things like that, and you could pay a fee and you go down this tunnel. They'll show you the equipment that was used, they'll show you um, the famous rainbow tunnel, and it's about... 50 something degrees down in that tunnel so you got to wear a jacket even if it's hot outside but the sterling mining museum in new jersey welcomes travels to check out their underground mining tour you have a chance to check out two museums experience the equipment in the mine itself watch drilling and blasting demonstration and the incredible famous fluorescent rainbow tunnel always uh, fun for people of all ages so that might be something you want to put on your list um, for the spring. It says reservation at tours between 10 and 3 p.m. generally. So, yeah, check them out if you want. Looks pretty cool. Sterling Hill Mining Museum. They say they have a haunted, a haunted uh, mine, too. So I guess that's probably a Halloween thing. Sounds fun. Five legendary treasures that have not been discovered. They're out there. We know they're there, but they haven't been discovered. Now, this may be kind of slow to go through because i got to click a different page for each treasure. But let me do the best I can here. Thanks for bearing with me. Napoleon's treasure may be in Moscow. About 80 tons of gold looted by the French army in 1812 may be buried underground. Nobody's ever found that yet. And let's see. Oh, actually, I think I can scroll through these one at a time. Let's see. Ah, here we go. A large treasure, including gold and gemstone, Buddha, worth $460 million, have been hidden in a series of underground caves in the Philippines. The loot was reportedly found, but then seized by the Philippine government of Fernando Marcos, Marcos in the 1970s. So I guess some of it's still there. The treasure of San Miguel 
A Spanish ship that carried large quantities of precious metals and stones may be in Cuba. The ship sank in 1715 and has never been found. Most of the Scottish navigator William Kidd's treasures were never found. One of Kidd's hiding places was Garner's Island in New York, where part of his treasure was discovered, but according to many, the bulk of the treasure lies along the Connecticut River in the United States. The menorah. Dating back nearly 2,000 years, the seven armed all Jewish, they call it a, a shalander. It's a candlestick with seven, it's basically it's seven uh, candle lampstand is what it is. The holiest object for the Jewish people after the tablets of the law. According to legend, it may be in Rome considering the Arch of Titus, which is a famous site you can see <coughs> of the Romans carrying off the menorah about uh, 70 CE when they took over um, Israel. And I think that's, yep, that's all five of them. Awesome, spectacular discovery. Huge emerald was discovered. Um, we might have talked about this. It is a uh, record-breaking emerald. This thing weighs like three pounds. It is an estimated 187,775 carat of emerald found in Zambia. And um, there might be a few other minerals sprinkled into this giant cluster. But it's going up for auction soon. If you want to read about this, you can find out at jewelermagazine.com. There's a whole article there on it, and we'll tell you about it. We'll see how much that sells for. I'm sure it'll go for millions. Our friends in Italy have found the fossil of a small well, and uh, this is an incredible discovery for the area because uh, it's, another, it's a small well which uh, they don't know much about, so they're pretty excited about finding this. Well fossils found in Italy... They have pictures of the bones here, um, and it looks a lot like some other whales that they found in Japan and other areas of this pygmy whale. You can find out about this at the sparkchronicles.com, and uh, Alex Marcel is credited with this article that tells us about this little dwarf whale that only lives in the southern hemisphere, and uh, they feel came extinct many, many years ago. And uh, these small whales are being studied there in uh, Italy and Sicily. So pretty cool. Museum Victoria has two particular fossils that have wrecked havoc, they say, on the scientific community. Um, part of a skull and an ear bone and uh, other bones found from the small whale that lived in the past on our planet. All right. Pink Emerald sells for $28.6 million. Got to get a drink, guys. I'm dying here. The Fortune Pink Diamond. Exceptionally rare giant gemstone. Sold for $28.6 million at Geneva, Switzerland. You can find out about this in many places, but the uh, Tapia Times, T-A-I-P-E-I Times.com. 
And uh, you can read about the Fortune Pink Diamond selling for $28.6 million. It's actually a set of earrings that weighs out at about 18.18 carats. They're pear-shaped, very fancy, vivid pink, very pure, very, very beautiful. And uh, they don't... Whoever bought it, bought it anonymously. That happens a lot. They just, I guess they don't want you to come over to their house and rob them. <laughs> the most complete T-Rex scale ever found may fetch $20 million at a single lot sale at Sotheby's. Sarah Cascone tells us about this at news.artnet.com. And there's a beautiful picture of this uh, skull there. It has all a lot of teeth are in it. It is one of the most complete um, Tyrannosaurus rex skulls ever found and will become the latest paleontology trophy to head to auction. Expected to sell for 15 to $20 million. Wow, that's cool. When you imagine finding something like that would be incredible. Well, there's one guy who was actually searching for slugs, and he found a living fossil. A living fossil. And guess where he found it? In the rarest, remotest parts of the world? No. He found it in Southern California. Um, the story is located at thebrief.org. And it starts off telling us some history back in 1938 about off the coast of South Africa where a fish was discovered that was thought to have been extinct. And then they found out, no, this fish... It's alive and well. Here it is. They Some fishermen pulled it up. Well, at Naples Point, slightly north of UC Santa Barbara, which they have a really big oceanic um, department at that school, and um, there's a lot of uh, oceanic studying going on there. So those areas are not like they've never been combed over again and again and again. Jeff Goddard, who is a research associate at the Marine Science Institute at UC Santa Barbara, co-author of the new paper detailing the discovery said it was remarkable so he was out there looking for these slugs and he found two of these creatures uh, together it's a a uh, clam basically and it has a huge foot long long foot but it's very tiny tiny kind of a transparent clam there was two of them together and uh, he didn't want to disturb them so he took pictures of them he went back and he told everybody about it, and um, then they said, "Hey, you know what? We better, we better go back and get one. We want to look at this thing. We want to probably slice it up in little pieces and see what makes it tick." So they went back, and it took them like nine days. He kept; they just kept scouring and scouring and scouring. He finally found found one by itself. So they snatched that one. And then the slugs that he was originally looking for happened to be there, too. So it was like a double good day for him on that ninth day. But uh, the mysterious clams proved to be very difficult to find a second time, but they found them. They'll probably close off this area to everybody. Nobody's going to be allowed to ever go there again, probably. Who knows, since they're so rare. They're so rare, they've been here since the beginning of time, but they're still here. So a lot of these things they think are extinct turn up again and again i think that's interesting all right this is gonna be a short one today guys what are pyritized seashells our friends at rock and gym you go to rock the letter n dot gym dot com and you can 
You can email, get on their email list, and they will send you these stories. Or you can go on the internet and look at these stories. Great stories. Pyrited, they're not a sponsor of the show, but I uh, always recommend getting the magazines. Great magazine for any rockhound or lapidarius. Pyrited seashells, how do you find them? Um, what about them, right? How do they become pyritized? Well, pyrite shells get, they get buried. These animals get buried. And then the whole fossilization process, as you know, is a replacement, right? The organic materials get microscopically replaced with minerals. Sometimes it's agate. could be other things. So we've seen turquoise and also iron. Uh, we've seen opal. We've seen wood get opalized, right? So organi- uh, organisms can become pyritized when marine sediments are saturated with iron sulfites, which pyrite is an iron sulfite. So that's how it happens. It's a replacement. And uh, some of the things that uh, are fossils are mollusk, or uh, if I'm saying this right, I've always called them bronchopods, but they're mollusks or, you know, like clams, those type of creatures. But other creatures can get pyritized as well. Seashells, lampshells, because of the shape of the valves, um, and other things. Um, bronchiopods have a large muscular foot that they use to anchor themselves to the seafloor, which uh, that word actually means arm or foot, or arm and foot. And we just talked about those little clams that have that foot that they hold, they stick themselves to to hang on to or to move around. That's how they move. So that's how they travel. So the outer shells have fine ridges running from the bottom to the back of the shell. And these bronchiopods have hinge shells at the top and the bottom. Clams have a hinge with the left and right arrangement. And some bronchiopods are inarticulate and do not possess hinges, but most have a stalk-like pedal or foot that projects from an opening in the bottom valve, and that keeps the animal anchored to the sea floor. Um, so these are very, very expensive, very collectible. Um, some of the areas where you can find them. Uh, they can be even bedazzled with pyrite crystals. So uh, Ohio, uh, was it? The Devionic silica shale from Lucas County in northwestern Ohio produces many kinds of bronchiopods that are bedazzled with pyrite crystals. Um, some of these reach a maximum of three inch, inches in length And then um, the silica shells of Lucas County, especially near Sylvania, are well known for pyritized fauna such as parasophiers, atpria, bronchiopods, other types of bronchiopods, basically. And um, that area is no longer um, being being, uh, mined. But you can still find some of these at rock shops, rarely on rock shows or uh, rock, uh, you know, Rockhounds, when they have their shows, their gym and mineral shows. All right, one last topic, and then I'm done, guys. Sorry. Sorry for such a sluggish uh, podcast today. Uh, Pyrite suns and coal mining 
Again, this is from our friends at Rock and Jim. These are really beautiful. Um, they look kind of like a sand dollar. If you've ever seen a sand dollar from the beach, that's kind of what they look like. These actually happen um, in sediments. Now, coal, there's all different kinds of coal, but there's this one coal that it, it just has this really high heat value, right? They call it they call it BTU, British Thermal Units. It's the amount of heat compacted into, you know, like a pound of material. And I think they call it uh, bilumious. I'm not really sure the pronunciation, but it's a, it's a coal that's very rich in sulfur. And that happens to be found in Illinois, in the cold fields, the coal fields out there. And at certain levels in between this pressure and in between that uh, bitolumious or bimumious, whatever it is, that super heat, comp that, that coal that's just compacted with all kinds of heat energy is this rich sulfur. And sometimes what can happen is these little iron pyrite suns, they call them. Um, they usually are very thin. They're no bigger than an inch. But some giant ones have been up to eight inches in diameter. Those are extremely rare. Um, they're very collectible, very valuable. Um, with coal not being mined that much, they're just not finding them anymore. Um, yeah, uh, there's a picture of some pyrite suns here being credited to Steve Voynich. And then um, they have a picture of these four suns, pyrite suns, that are still attached to the coal, which is really cool. Um, I imagine a piece like that would be worth just tons of money. But yeah, with the pyrite and the coal mines not being used so much anymore, the only really thing that is pulling more of these pyrite suns out is they're going through the uh, the tailings. So these rockhounds and miners are going through the tailings and finding them. That's where the only new supply comes from. So these are just going to get more and more valuable, um, presumably, as time goes on. So, hey, guys, I apologize for uh, the condition I'm in and uh, hope maybe you appreciate that I did what I could to get something out to you this week. Until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die. They might get sick, but they don't die. They petrify.